Welcome to the Christine Spray Show, bringing you insights and stories from successful CEOs to help grow your business and increase your revenue. The Christine Spray Show is brought to you by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Find out more at yourpodcast.team. Now, here's your host, Christine Spray. Hi, I am Christine Spray, and welcome to another episode of the Christine Spray Show. For this episode, our guest host is David Spray, who is talking to Tom Ballou, CEO of Ballou Fire Systems. The company is headquartered in Houston, Texas, and serves commercial customers with their fire detection and suppression needs. Tom acquired the business less than seven years ago and has led to a 10x growth in both revenue and headcount. He has a servant leader approach that really shines through in this interview. Although the 10x growth is impressive, what might be even more impressive is that they grew the headcount by 15 times without ever advertising a single position. This is due to a tremendous culture that Tom calls done as one. That describes how the company aspires to work as a single team across all departments. Tom is an inspiration to any current or future entrepreneur who has a dream and makes it a reality. Now let's get to the episode. Hey, Tom, welcome to the podcast. Thanks a lot, Dave. Appreciate the time. So I'm an accountant by training, so I like to do things chronologically. So <laughs> let's start kind of at the beginning. So are you a native Houstonian? No, actually, I'm not. I, I grew up in rural Wisconsin. I was oh, okay. born and raised there, which, which means, yes, I'm a Cheesehead Packer fan through and through. That You absolutely <laughs> have. It's not a choice when you grow up there. Sure. You, you have to do that. But I, I grew up there and went to college at the University of Wisconsin Whitewater, which is a Whitewater's a kind of a small town between uh, Madison and Milwaukee. But graduated graduated from there in 1982. Okay, and what brought you to Houston? So, good question. The um, so the economy in Wisconsin during that time was not the best. Mm-hmm. So I went on a uh, nationwide job search, and, and in 1982 in Whitewater, Wisconsin, that means you subscribe to papers all over the country. Yeah, and I was getting a dozen or two Sunday editions of the wanted ads, and was sending out uh, resumes and letters and phone calls. And finally, Warden Houston came up with this a, a high-rise developer. <clears throat> they were they also owned and managed uh, about 13 million square feet of office space. They were looking for a fire safety coordinator, and. Uh, Okay. I sent him my resume, and lo and behold, I saw it the next week in the paper. And I called the personnel lady, and I said, "Hey, I, you know, I, I know she reran it. Did you see my resume?" She goes, "Yeah, it looks great. It's a perfect entry level job. We just weren't looking to pay relocation costs." And I said, "Ma'am, <laughs> I, I walk down there working a garbage can. I just want a job." And so, so I, I bought a 1978 Plymouth Horizon and packed up everything I owned in it, and 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 came down here. So, and been, and been here ever since. So. Uh, so isn't that funny? It's like, I think most recent college graduates are okay not having a relocation package provided because for one thing, they managed to fit all their belongings prior in their whatever car they had in college. So it's probably not that hard for them to load up their same stuff and head on down. So, yeah, I got here just, you know, it was in uh, mid uh, 82 and the economy was still okay here in Houston, but then in 82, Three, it kind of took that downturn, mm-hmm. and I it was uh, I got here just in time, and it never affected my job or anything. But I, I, it was it was fairly lean for our company there for a few years. Yeah, you know it's funny. So I'm also from the Midwest, like you, from Northern Iowa, and I have a saying that two sayings: the the worst Houston summer is still better than the best Northern winter. <laughs> is, is one saying, and the other one I have is. I'll take a Houston recession over a Rust Belt booming economy any day of the week. Because I moved here in 87, which was kind of the, you know, the trough or close to the trough. Mm-hmm. And to me, it still felt like a booming town. So I guess it's, you know, it's all relative. Yeah, it was funny. When I moved here, it was like every week. So you talk about literally out in the country, Wisconsin to Houston, Texas. And it was like every weekend was like a vacation, you know, San Antonio, Austin, Galveston, places in Houston. I, I was working here about six or seven months and, and I saw Ronald Reagan, who was president. then. I mean, it was really quite an exciting time. It still is, but uh, really quite a time. It was uh, just fascinating, just fascinating. Okay. 
Yeah. Well, so yeah, I, I moved here when I graduated from UT in 87. So I uh, moved to Texas in 78. So I got to Texas a little bit ahead of you and got to Houston a little bit later. So <laughs> it's the saying we got here as quick as we could. Yeah, we sure did. So, so have you been you know, kind of in the, the fire safety related business your whole career then? Actually, I have. And that's, that's what's kind of been unique for me. I've, I've spent the first eight years of my career on the owner side of the fence. So I worked for a building owner. So I, I mm-hmm. was the customer. I was the customer of, of the company services that, that I have now. So that gives me a very unique perspective, and I really enjoy that because it gives me a, an idea of really what the customer needs on the other side of the fence, what they're looking for, what they're going through, and that kind of situation. So that's a very valuable eight years. And mm-hmm. then uh, after that time, I kind of swapped over to the contracting side of the fence. I went to work for for a good, reputable uh, fire and life safety company at the time and, and started to sell for them. And it was kind of my journey on the contracting side of the fence. Wow, that's that, that's great to uh, to have a niche like that. So, yeah, we, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. So it was really neat. So at that time, when I worked for that developer, I got a lot of really great opportunities. I became chairman of the city code, fire code board of appeals. I was on several committees and spoke on topics. I was part of several code changes. So I was actually able to be uh, be part of a lot of really uh, unique and, and important things fairly early in my career before the age I was for before being 28 years old, I'd already been exposed to that thing because of the, the employment with this company that I was in. So I had some great opportunities early. Well, that is great. But then at some point, it sounds like you got bit by the entrepreneurial bug. Uh, so <laughs> when was that, that that you started, acquired, joined, whatever the verb is, for sure. Blue Fire Systems? Sure. So my father was a business owner. My, my grandfather was a business owner. And so I guess I kind of always had the thought and the dream, but didn't really put it into action until a little bit later. I, I started to really get serious about it around 2012, and I was looking for companies to to buy, mm-hmm. uh, specific companies, so that they would have a, a specific product line and specific thing of what they did. And I looked and, and had it narrowed down to a couple of companies and actually ended up purchasing a company in August of, uh, of 2015. It was a small company. They, they only had four people at the time and did about... Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, they actually still use typewriters when I walked in the front door, which is quite frightening wow. when I walked in and saw that. Yeah. So we, they had about uh, seven or $800,000 in revenue, very consistent, very good customer base. Uh, they didn't want anything more, anything less, which is fine. Mm-hmm. And we finally struck a deal and completed and closed it in in August of 2015. And then you rebranded it. I did. The company that I purchased had a fairly common name. There was a few other companies that had names like that. And also, oh, sure. let me yeah, guess. I mean, did it have Did it have like fire in the name or? Well, it had American on it, so it was. It oh, was, so it was like you know, it was. And, and the really, it's funny, I, I bought the company, I was still considering the name change, I was considering DBA and all that going, we were still functioning under the current name, but it's funny, I got a call, in our business, the state fire marshal kind of holds your license, right? He's, the, he's okay. the fire alarm police, right? He can put you out, he can lock your door anytime he wants to for doing things not per code and per the rules. Okay. So I, I'm in there about two weeks and I get a call from the state fire marshal's office, which is pretty frightening, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's on par getting call from, you know, the IRS or something like that. Sure, sure. Uh, but he called and he said, hey, I got a complaint against your company. It's a pretty serious allegation. I'm like, oh my goodness. And it turned out to be a different company with the name American in it. Oh. I'm like, okay, I, I, that's my decision. Nobody is going to mistake a company called Blue Fire Systems. Right. Uh, so I wanted to use my name simply because I'd spent my entire career in this one market Mm-hmm. And I, I, I had brand, your name it, alone had yeah, brand awareness. Simply. Yeah. Yes. It, thank you for, for putting it that way. You're exactly correct. Not because of anything special, but just by the way, I tried to conduct my life through, through my whole career. Mm-hmm. And you'd been, you'd been in the industry for 30 mm-hmm. plus years. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Yep. So that's, that's how and the why that the name, name became about. So, but yeah, so we started that in 2015 and we've been very blessed and some great employees with some great, great things. We've actually grown uh, 10X since then. Oh, so wow. We've, we've that's great. Yes. So do you, yes. where'd you find, how'd you locate 
10 times more typewriters. It seems like that might be hard to find. <laughs> so it was, you know, oddly enough, the first thing I did is I started uh, wireless in the office and they thought I discovered fire. I mean, goodness gracious. <laughs> uh, so I tell people that, that I didn't, in the beginning, I did not have to do a lot to make it look like I did a lot. <laughs> and so some very simple things. And the further I got into it, they had this, this lady that was their controller slash HR slash everything. Yeah, because there were only four employees. Yeah, because right? so, uh, she was one of the four. She actually did all of her bookkeeping, pencil and tablet. Oh, wow. Yeah, you talk about frightening. So there was a lot of processes and a lot of changes that, that we needed to make right away. And like I said, I was really very blessed with who joined. There was a there was a, a young lady that, that actually went to my church and she was looking to kind of get in part time. And I said, well, that's great. You know, what, what do you do? She goes, well, I'm a CPA with a law degree. I'm going, holy cow. <laughs> uh, okay. How, you know, when can you start? So I'm, we, she is now full time, obviously. So she's great, a great asset. She's our controller. And not a lot of companies my size have CPAs that on a full time staff. So she's a, well, a, real, and an attorney. a real blessing. And an attorney yeah. to boot. That yeah. probably comes in handy from time to time, I suppose. It does. What I tell people, you're never going to win an argument with her. And so, <laughs> so just go ahead and give up. So just go ahead and, and do it. But yeah, that's, and we've had many other wonderful blessings of employees and people. And uh, Wow. Actually, so let's, go ahead. No, no I, well, we're at about 60, 61 people and I have never, I have yet to ever have to advertise for a job. Wow. Every single person we've hired has been by word of mouth. That is, uh, that is awesome. So give me a sense for the four employees you had when you started. You had the kind of the office lady, and then did you have like some technicians? One. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, so there was the owner, and he was a technician by heart. Wonderful okay. technician. Wonderful customer service skills. Classic e-myth situation. Oh, you're absolutely right. Very disorganized. And that's one reason why it took so long to to get the final details of the company worked out because he was just so disorganized. So, so it was him and then a technician and a quasi sales designer technician when he had to be kind of a jack of all trades kind of person. So great people, uh, very close, very wonderful to deal with and really enjoyed them all. And they, uh, they, that sounds like a perfect business to buy because he was a technician at heart. They probably, their clients were probably happy with the technical work they did. Exactly. So you, you had that as a foundation. And then I imagine everybody was amazed at the bringing them into the, the 21st century, right? With <laughs> he, he, uh, customers. He, he, he struggled with it. Customers enjoyed it. He struggled with it. But yeah, they were. And, and one of the things I learned buying that business is, is I came from a, a bigger companies and we kind of always felt that we were on the mountaintop. But one of the wonderful things I learned and I loved about this company when I did it was is they had a wonderful customer base of people that did some wonderful things in the community. And that mm. was the one of the most blessing I had of learning about the company is learning their customers and what they did. And they specialized in a certain market. And this market was just really wonderful people doing some really great things in the community and just and just helping people. And, and that was a real enjoyment watch, watching that. But, oh, uh, I, he, I bet. Now, did he yeah. stay around after the, the close? He did all? actually. So he he was never married and he never had any kids. So I really had no competition on buying the business from him. Gotcha. And so yeah, so he just he wanted to work a few days a week, so we just worked on an agreement and and we kept him on and he took care of his customers and really enjoyed it and did a great job and and then And he'd uh, probably never been happier in his career. He was he was he, he was he kept telling me he goes all the complaints are coming to you now. I'm out. <laughs> and so he would he did that, but and he had just like I said, just a wonderful man, and really enjoyed it. He unfortunately he had passed a couple years after after the purchase of the company. Mm. Um, but we uh, we we keep his we keep his his thought and and his his great heart around. Try to keep, make that part of our culture. Well, that's that's great. So, man, that kind of growth. So that's a you know an employee. You'd mentioned a ten x growth from an employee count. That's about a fifteen x growth. Mm -hmm. And you said you've never you know advertised to to hire anybody. I don't even know where to to start with that. I guess it must go back to either culture or something that you brought to the table because you know they. I mean, obviously, something changed when you went to work there. So, and I know you talked about a little bit of the low hanging fruit going paperless and, and some things like that. But 
what are maybe some of the two or three maybe key decisions that you made or key changes that come to mind that really positioned you for that level of growth? So really, I think the way that I was approaching the the business was I had worked for, for several companies and they had a lot of walls between departments, a lot of this department versus that department versus this department. Okay. And there was not a lot of information sharing. So I try to, I try to, first of all, keep, so first of all, you're absolutely right on the culture. Well, I'm sure we'll, I'll get into that a little bit later, but what I try to do is to, to our, t- our tagline here amongst us is done as one, right? So I'd like okay. to make sure that everybody is on one team, one purpose, one goal, I've got one guys in one department that'll go help another department. I got some sales guys that'll go on a service call for crying out loud. So it's really keeping ourselves and keeping the walls down and knowing that we are one and Mm -hmm. we win together, we lose together, we struggle together, we succeed together. So I tried to do that from the beginning is keeping that, that open information flow, open ideas, marketing plan, culture, wins and losses and good and bad and helping everybody part of each decision along the way. And that really, I think, helped helped a lot of that. That, that really mm-hmm. started that. And and the culture uh, being a very important part of that as well. But, but so always having, and that's something we still focus on today, but really keeping it together and doing it as one and allowing ourselves to be open and honest. And with the customer as well, another thing that really helps that I think has helped us is we're very accessible to our customers. Mm -hmm. Unlike most companies, I allow any of our all employees to give their cell numbers to all, any, all our customers versus having, forcing them to go through, through a certain procedure to get a hold of somebody. We're we're accessible, we're flexible that way. So I think those things together have helped us uh, grow and keep the employees here and keep them together and understand that, you know, obviously everybody says, the, you know, without your employees, you're nothing, but you really got to put that, you really got to put intentional effort into that. You've got to understand that they are people going through things. And I, I read the book, Leadership from the Heart, and that really helped me be a leader, a servant leader, knowing that everybody is going through serious things in their life as soon as they walk out that door that they bring into this company when they come back through it the next day. Mm-hmm. So being being intentional about knowing enough about people's lives to see how it affects their day to day. Now that's that is that is great and I really love the accessibility. It just seems like like as time has gone by when you're the customer of a business, it seems like they're less and less accessible. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no there's not a live person that answers the phone. You've got to go through a phone tree. You know, they want everything done by text or email or chat. So that I can see where that is, that has helped. What, let's talk a bit more about your business. So I don't really have much experience with your business. Give us a sense of like, when you think about your customers, how do you kind of group them together, either by industry or size or type of facility? How do you all think about the market? So that's a great question, and it really helps and points to our strengths. So we have, basically, we we approach it in vertical markets for us, and we have a very well-balanced customer base in those vertical markets. So first is commercial, high-rise buildings. We do a lot of high-rise building activity, high-rise hotels, commercial office buildings, industrial office parks. We do a lot of that, and that's a great segment of our business. We do also a lot of healthcare. And we do a lot of K through 12 and a lot of higher education. So we have a very well-balanced crossover really between everybody and all of those markets. So we spend a lot of time developing each of those markets and we have some great customer base with those. So, and the, 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 really the nice part of our business is you have to do it. A lot of our systems have to be installed and be installed a certain way. They have to be maintained. They have to be tested. They have to be serviced. They have to remain functional. So you are, I, sometimes I refer to my customers, I'm like the dentist. You don't like me, but you got to use me. <laughs> right, right. Um, but so we do everything from design, installation, service, inspection, and surveys and all these kind of things for our customers. So it's a we're a turnkey operation in several different pockets 
of the fire and life safety field. But yeah, our vertical markets is where is those four big ones is mm-hmm. really where we do quite a bit of work. So some people, we don't do a lot in the industrial plant inside the protected fence area. It's just not something we're built for, but that's because that's about the only vertical market that we currently do not pursue. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and and so in addition to like fire extinguishers, I mean, are you guys involved in sprinkler systems or what are the other types so, of things you guys help do? Yeah, our primary thing is electronics. So we do fire alarm and detection and voice communication. Okay. So we'll do your so in your facility, you know, your voice paging, your mass communication, mass notification, detection and alarms and visual signaling, things like that. A large network systems, one of our one of our higher education customers has hundred and fifty or close to two hundred different systems all tied together in a network. So that is a primary it as well. We do some of the suppression, extinguishers, your FM two hundred, your fixed fixed systems. And then uh, a little bit of sprinkler or some sprinkler and then extinguishers and, and all that other kind of suppression as well. But mm-hmm. so everything from, you know, the electronic side to the water side, we're, we're involved with. Yeah. And I'm guessing that was probably harder to uh, be involved in the electronics when you were a typewriter based organization. <laughs> I would imagine. Well, that's why the technicians were so valuable. Then they kind of knew everything right in their head and didn't really have a way to share it or train on it or, or, push it. They were not doing a lot of, not a lot of advanced systems on other customers. We're smaller, which is fine, but they did not push into some of the larger stuff. We're, we've, we've been blessed to go into some really big stuff. Uh, we're kind of proud. We're doing a lot of work at NASA right now as well, mm. finishing up the, finish up a project where the guys are going to stay before they, in preparation for the Mars trip, right? There's a little dorm they're going to stay in for six months to a year and, and train that. So we're doing that. And, and we got some nice, uh, very nice clients there. And a lot of different, a lot of different areas and, and things that, that we focus on. That's that is great. The other nice thing I like about your business that has some similarity to my core business is uh, there's a heavy recurring revenue model to it. It sounds like because of either the monitoring or the annual servicing. I assume it's annual servicing and inspections, or is it even more frequent than that? Yeah, that's a great point, and yeah. When that's another really nice balance of growth in our company is we, when I bought the company and they were doing about 90% construction and 10% service. And now we're 60, 40. My goal is to be the 50, 50, but you're absolutely right. We have monitoring. We do, depending on the type of system will depend on the frequency of inspection or the mm-hmm. duration. So there's several, some are quarterly, some are biannually, some are annual, some are every three years, some are five years. So there's a lot of different types of inspections that we do, and that has been a it's a wonderful partnership that we form with our client, and mm-hmm. we really and that's one of the things I love about our business as well is it's us. It's not well they're the client or the customer. It's us. We together, right? Them and us are are, are making that facility safer and better, and uh, and when the need to be able to communicate with everybody effectively and immediately. Yeah, that's also going to make your business a lot more vi- uh, valuable, I would imagine, because from what I know about multiples, like in just the residential alarm business, like installations trade at like, you know, less than one times EBITDA, but mm-hmm. the monitoring is uh, is worth, you know, way more than that. So I would imagine there's some similarity in your business that if you ever exit the business or when you exit it, I guess we all exit at some point. Yeah. That'll be, uh, that'll make the business that much even more attractive to somebody. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And, and what we try to do is each new construction project, we try to turn that into a service customer and we have a pretty good Mm -hmm. success rate with that. We get our sales team involved early in it, very early and meeting, you know, meeting the ownership or management partners that are, that, that are part of that, so we get on that pretty early and turn it into a customer, and uh, and that's a great way to to get more service revenue out of out of what we try to do. And are you focused just in the greater Houston metro area? We just opened an office in Galveston, so I would probably say yes. Houston Galveston really is our area. I, I describe it, you know, Beaumont's included, halfway to Dallas, halfway to San Antonio, halfway to Corpus is kind of our is kind of our is kind of our umbrella. Okay. We have a couple of customers that are further out than that, but there's a, there's a lot of market here yet to develop in Houston before I think we're going to decide to go to another city. Sure, sure. So if I was talking to some of your customers 
and I said, hey, why do you guys use Tom's company and his team instead of somebody else? What do you think they might say? So, Other than the easily accessible. Sure. So I think really is our technical knowledge and our innovation. We've got some very bright people that we collaborate together. And so one thing they're going to tell you is that they come up with a solution and it's effective and it's cost effective and they can get it done quick. So our technical knowledge is very high. I believe we are pretty open about our culture and our done as one attitude. I think Mm -hmm. our customers see that and they also see that we try to operate quickly with a sense Mm -hmm. of urgency Everything from the technical side to the paperwork side to the invoicing side, we try to operate at a high rate of speed. So I think what they're going to see there is that, and I think also the, the sheer honesty and integrity of what we do. We have, we're not perfect. We make mistakes, but I, we, we get in front of it right away and we're honest with the customer. We fix, we do what's right. We go back and fix things that we need to take care of. So I would say probably those those things are probably probably the biggest things that they would tell you about us. Mm-hmm. No, that that makes sense. Boy, I, I I you sound like the company I'd like to be a customer of. Unfortunately, I don't think I want to go buy a office building <laughs> just to become a customer. But, but we can put I a system in could. your house, David. I can do that. Oh, right can. Now. <laughs> would it be would it be cost effective though? I guess that might be uh, the, <laughs> the, the challenge. So you talked about the verticals. When you drill down a little more from that, what are kind of the other characteristics of the companies or individuals who you feel like you're really set up to to best serve? Is it Are you trying to serve the people who just all they care about is the lowest price and they don't want any kind of a relationship with you and they just view it as a transaction or is it something different? How do you kind of know when you meet with a decision maker that this is a good fit for your company or it's not? So I... I really, I like the question because my, my first answer to that is I like to do business with the most picky, difficult customers that are out there. I say okay. picky is not the right word. With the most thorough and knowledgeable customers because the toughest customers make me better. I can mm-hmm. tell you, we have improved not just internally, but externally having customers that have now, I've got some pretty high expectations of what we do from day to day, but have even higher expectations of us than we do of ourselves. And I love that kind of customer because they will always, they just, they make us better. So mm-hmm. that's one person that, but, you know, people that view it as a partnership, you know, you, you can always find a lower number. You can always, you can, you, you look hard enough, you'll always find that. Mm-hmm. But I've got customers that are partners and they take their life safety needs seriously. There are a few of those, and those are the same people chasing the lowest number, are the people that may cut a corner here and there. And mm-hmm. frankly, we do an annual review, and we we fire a few customers every year. I, I, I don't want to be tied because to that they're cutting wanna, because they're cutting corners. Cutting corners, they just don't treat us fairly and properly, mm-hmm. and it's just not. Uh, and I don't want my name tied to that. So sure. So that is that's a like we do that we do that every year actually. We have a little fire the customer day, but uh, and it's not it's not many, but because we'll try to do everything we can, obviously for everybody. But I think so. The people that view us as a partnership and really are open and honest in their communication with us and take their to take what they do and what we do and 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 take it seriously. Now that's great, and that firing customers is one of those things that that can be kind of scary the first time you do it, right? Because you're literally walking away from money, mm-hmm. but. uh have you heard the story of from Herb Kelleher of Southwest Airlines where they had a really difficult customer who would yeah. just complain all the time and write letters all the time and just berate the employees? And it was just terrible. And finally, one day, he Herb sent a reply to one of her letters. It was a woman, I remember. And he just said, Alice, we're going to miss you. Best of luck. (laughs) So he basically fired her because her theory was that his customer was the employee, that if he took care of the employees would take care of their end customer. So, and I bet you it it also, that probably contributes to the fact that you've never had to advertise for 
an employee is that probably really encourages an even closer relationship when somebody, when an employee tells you, hey, this customer is just a pain in the ass or they cut corners and you actually listen to them and get rid of that customer. I can only imagine what that does to your employee relationship. Yeah, when they see that kind of support that we're willing to walk away from dollars as to make their life a little bit easier, they really see that and they really support it. And and it takes a lot, but I mean, when you do that, it's such a breath of fresh air. I mean, everything it, it because that that customer touches so many aspects of what we do here and literally every department what everybody does. So when you mm-hmm. do that, it really kind of eases the burden and allows them to focus on the people that, that they want to be. And the funny part about that is we found ourselves spending more time and effort and money trying to keep a unhappy customer that I couldn't make happy. I'm spending time their site while a guy that does treat me fairly and honestly, I'm not at his site. Right, so right. It, the squeaky it's got a wheel. double jeopardy to it. Yeah. So I just... Finally, go look. Let's free up our time. Let's take care of our people. That take care of us, and and we move forward. So it's it's been. But I will say that I'm a sales guy at heart. So yeah, walking away from businesses, it's never an easy decision at all. No, never I at can, all. I can understand. Do you ever have you ever put like a customer like on notice? You know, like you would an employee where you've you know quote written them up. Have you ever put a customer on notice? I yeah, great question. I just did actually. It was a and it's a big customer. I mean, a, a big one. And we are doing everything we can to try to do it. But it's like, have you ever dealt with somebody that just looks, you don't succeed, you just have varying degrees of failure. Oh, and yeah. everything we do, it no matter how fast or how right or how good, it's like, but, you know, oh, remember, keep this. So we actually did that. And I've done it before, more so from a from people that that uh, don't seem to want to pay their bills, but, but this is one of the one of the first times one of the most significant customers actually said, "Look, this, this we're put. You have our best. Like all of our customers have our best foot forward. You're getting it. You're getting it as good and better than really anybody else can do it. But you know, you keep finding ways that we're uh, failing, and it just it's very frustrating to a lot of people. Sure. Well, let's flip it to the other side. Think back over the last year or two. Let's think about a customer success story that you're particularly proud of the team and what you guys accomplished, either a, a situation that you took over uh, with a new customer that was you know, kind of a broken situation that you fixed, or a customer that had some crisis that needed you to jump in. Uh, and you don't need to mention the, the customer by name, but does something come to mind that you're particularly proud of your team for? It does, actually. So the first one is it's a high-rise building that mm-hmm. we were trying to, we had been calling on them, and they knew who we were, but they were using another provider. And then their provider told them, said, look, your system is in such bad shape, you have to replace it. It's done. It's over. It's a dinosaur. Get rid of it. So they called us in there, and literally we were there for about two and a half hours, and not only did we fix the problem, well, that system is still properly and functioning today. Wow! So I saved the guy a few hundred thousand dollars, and they've been they've been a wonderful customer ever since. Oh, so that's that, a, that, that's a great story. Okay, that's yeah, one. Yeah. How about uh, another, another one? one? Yeah, sure. So this one is a bigger multi-campus company, and we had the opportunity to uh, become their service provider. But many of the people that worked there w- did not want us there. They liked the old company. They, you know, really kind of were kind of stonewalling us on a few issues, and they were really hard toward us in the beginning. And I'm just so proud of the team that through just pure dedication and customer service and doing the right thing and doing the way that we treat all our customers, that eventually not only are they referring business to us, but we've grown that customer to literally take care of every campus that they have around around Houston and even a few outside of Houston. So that was that was good because it took really everybody, took the people face to face out on site, it took everything from the admin staff to the technical side to you know the to the paperwork and documentation side and over time we we kind of won them over as they say and they've really are now a, a great customer and just to refer a lot of business to us. 
And isn't that ironic, right? Because it's those difficult customers to win over sometimes become your best customers. And I wonder what what made it hard to win over. Was it just that the employees felt the loyalty to that prior provider that you're having to overcome? And once you proved yourself, they transferred that same, you know, tremendous loyalty to you and your team, do you think? That's exactly it. Part of it was that. Part of it was I think I spoke earlier about the, uh, a certain competitor that was uh, pretty vicious in, in our company attacks, and, and a couple of these folks on this, with this company had kind of bought into that. So mm. they came into dealing with us with a real chip on their shoulder and, think, and thinking mm. that I was this when actually I, I, I wasn't. So it didn't take long for them to see our true heart and how we conduct our business and that we really are a, a company with very high integrity and very high morals. Gotcha. Okay, well now I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it to of a tough question here. And if if it's too tough or you want to just skip it, just you know, just let me know. But no so if you're like so unless I'm you're different than most uh, companies I know, I'm guessing you didn't just have a nice, smooth, linear growth line from four employees to sixty employees with just a nice, smooth ten percent monthly growth month after month. And no hiccups. Is that safe to assume that it maybe wasn't that smooth? That is, that's an accurate statement, David. Did you have any? Does any you know particular challenge come to mind? You know, in your entrepreneurial journey, that was particularly challenging. When I started the company, we grew the first year. I want to say we grew one hundred and sixty-five percent. Oh wow. And the second year, we grew 100%. Okay. So during this time, though, I could I went to 10 or 11 different institutions to try to get some sort of a line of credit or some sort of backup working mm-hmm. capital. And all of them saw me as a startup. So literally, we the first three years we were in business, we grew. So that was the first year, the second year, and the third year, we grew 90%. All so self-funded, huh? All self-funded. Which, wow. Which, looking back on it, was really quite a blessing. But at the time, I, <laughs> it may have been a bit stressful. And uh, Yeah, because it takes cash to grow. And that it does. So, and that's that tough does. when you're trying to internally. Because it, it creates an odd paradox, right? The faster you grow, the tighter the cash gets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we were we really were very strategic in how we build and how we manage our money, and that's another reason why having the CPA was good there. The first, so the disorganization of the of the guy that owned the business that I bought it from kind of actually helped because when we bought it, on his records he showed that he had I don't know fourteen fifteen thousand dollars worth of inventory. I came in and counted he had like one hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of inventory he didn't even know he had. Wow. So. Yeah, so that really helped the first few months. I really didn't really have to purchase a lot of things. We were able to get the get kind of cash going and get it going from there and, and put a little money in the bank as well. But yeah, then but then when we reached that point, you know, we established a relationship with it with an institution. They've been very good and very loyal to us as we have them since then. But yeah, it was that was pretty difficult because I I remember going back and telling my wife, I said, hey, man, we, gosh, it looks like we're going to go 170% this year. She says, that's great. When are you going to start getting paid? I'm like, well, come on now, honey. Let's, let's hold, hold on now. Let's, let's simmer down now. Let's make sure we, let's you're, you're, focused on the, you're focused on the wrong things, honey. <laughs> and so I don't care that you need a new car, honey. But it was, so it really was, it was really crazy. And all that time when we had to switch doing things with vendors during that time. And we still were able to grow 150% or 175% the first year. Wow. That was really, that was, that was quite stressful and quite spectacular all at the same time. It's the, it's just the thrill. That's one of the funnest things about it. It was, it was the thrill of it all in the beginning that really, that really kind of helped push us that extra mile. So what uh, opportunities did you discover in that challenge of having to be really disciplined with your cash management? So how you go about, so I could have gone out the first year and I could have been low bid on $10 million for the work and I could have grown $10 million mm-hmm. in the first month. So it was the discipline of knowing what projects to go after, knowing how to price them effectively and how to install them effectively so that we could, we could beat our estimates and beat our margins and, and continue to make that cash flow. And that goes all the way back to how we build them, when we build them, and how we manage that. So 
It was the opportunity of selecting specific customers to go after early on that we knew that we would partner with, that we knew that we could that that would treat us fairly, and that we knew they would they would be on a had good reputation themselves, and and knew that we could get with them, and then uh, to to do that and to try to be strategic about how we spent our money. Yeah, and do you think did that also contribute to some other just practices in the business that have stayed? Like I know you talked about speed, and one of the things you mentioned was speed of invoicing. I'm guessing that you you probably trained your technicians and your team to get invoices out as soon as possible, right? Because that's when the clock started ticking. Yep. Did, did, do you think some of the habits that you're forced to develop then have continued to serve you well? Like I find that most bootstrapped companies tend to have better financial discipline than like a company who's just given a ton of money because they had to. Mm-hmm. Does anything come to mind? Yeah, absolutely. It it really is how we tracked and continue to track uh, job cost, how we continue to track efficiency on an inspection or a service call or certain things that we do. If we say it was going to take eight hours and we ended up spending 12, or did we end up doing it in four? Mm-hmm. So we track that pretty pretty closely because that's where it starts. For me, it's the job cost. You don't know, if you don't know what your costs are and how they're being applied and how the guys are applying their time on jobs and how are they doing and and that teaches you how to estimate, then that's the discipline that we've maintained is really the estimating practices, reviewing our vendor pricing very regularly and having debriefs with our field guys. So when I get a, a job that turns into a turd and let's face it, we all had one. Sure. We come in and we sit down and we talk about it. And I say, what can we learn from this? What was it? Was it the customer? Was it the situation? Maybe we don't bid this type of work or did we, what happened? And so we learn from that. So we debrief after the good, the bad ones and the good ones. What did we learn? Why did we do so well here? What was the thing? What can we copy on the next job? So we take a lot of time reviewing job costing and job cost and the whys of the success and the, and the failures and uh, how we can learn from that and maintain that trying to keep the discipline of the, you'll appreciate this, but the fundamental accounting rule of matching revenue with expenses. I mean, you got sure that's the simplest thing, but I've seen people not do it. And then a year later, wonder why they're broken and they owe everybody in the world. So it's, it's, it's that discipline that's stayed with us through the whole time. Now, that rapid growth, it's difficult sometimes, so we got to really be intentional about sitting down and doing it as frequently as we can. Sure. And what's, uh, what's probably an ideal growth rate like going forward for you that's, that's comfortable but still is you know, stretching the team some? So we, our last three years, including COVID year, actually, we actually grew 25% in the COVID year, which was a great thing for us. But somewhere between 22 and 25%. If we're hitting that, then that's a pretty sweet spot. If we can continue that growth rate with a good mixture of construction and service, then that is, it's, it's obtainable. We can handle it. We can plan for it. We can build through it. We can hire for it. So that would really be, that's really kind of our sweet spot of our growth right there. Okay. Now that, that makes sense. And I'm impressed that you gave a, that tight of a range 22 to 25%, I think goes back to the fact that you guys really understand your numbers. Well, it took a long time because, I'm, like I said, I was a sales guy. So sure, I, the fact that I can, you know, now talk about this is a, is a miracle for those people that know, know me. But, <laughs> but it's just part of the business. That's what's the fun part about it is when you get to learn that and you can see the effects of when you train the, and put the right guys on the bus, get them in the right seat, get them going in the right direction, and allow them to empower them to make the decision that they can make on their own within the parameters of their, of their umbrella, then you can see the results of that. You can see the reduced overtime. You can see the mm-hmm. higher efficiency. You can see the better quality. That's real tangible. That You can put your hands on it. And so mm-hmm. we, we really enjoy this. So we can watch that development. It's, it, it, it's fun. It's fun. Sure. And that kind of dovetails, by the way, we're, we're nearing, uh, we're going down the home stretch now. Got it. We just have a few more questions. So what is it about your role in the company that you find most satisfying, gratifying, 
enjoyable? That is a that's a, another good question because it it it's changes. So in the beginning, okay. it was the thrill of the chase. It was it, okay. like I said, I, I was I'm a natural salesperson, and just the thrill of the chase, the wins, the losses, the just the adrenaline that comes with all of that, and that was fun and that was important. But really, once you implement the culture, I get probably the biggest reward watching our people develop personally and professionally. I mean, we've had many employees that have purchased their first home or they have children or they've had struggles and now they've gotten things back together. So being part, and this was very unexpected for me too when I started the business, I did not think I would be this involved in some of the people's lives, but I really enjoy that and really enjoy seeing that development because Mm. it touches their work as well. So that's probably one of the things I enjoy the most is just, I define, so leadership has a thousand different definitions, but I believe at its core, leadership is influence. It's influence of, of, of people. Mm-hmm. No matter who you are, what you do, whenever you speak, you're influencing so many people. So I like to, to lead. I'm also, like I said before, I'm a servant leader, so I like to influence their lives in a positive fashion. And I really get a great reward from that and, and really enjoy it. And so I think those are probably the couple of points there. Yeah, that based on based on my understanding of your business and your story, you can just hear your enthusiasm and passion for that. It's almost like just one big family, isn't it? It it well, you, you use a term family a lot. It gets thrown around in companies, which is great. You spend so much time together, but when you get to a point where you know that much about each other's life and you do something about it, you don't just talk about it. You you know, you get some people together to help somebody or you get some people together said, let's do this for this person or let's do that. Or, Hey, they're going through that. Let's help them out here. And those are really kind of milestones that really do bring you together. Mm -hmm. So if you could go back in time and give advice to your 25 year old self, what advice might you give to yourself? Well, first I would tell myself to shave off that ugly mustache I had. Goodness <laughs> gracious, why did I have that? Why well, did I have it was that? the 80s. It was the <laughs> 80s. I'll tell you a couple of things. I would, ta- I would have myself take the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace uh, University sooner. Okay. I would not, I would tell myself that what you think is important right now isn't, and that being the 25-year-old single guy, look, get back 5,000 feet, and don't look at what you're going to do Friday night. Look at what you're going to do in five, ten years from now. Okay. And I would tell myself that don't wait to have the blessing of a family. Okay. Not that I waited a long time, but I can just remember being 25 and thinking, oh, I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to have kids. I'm never going to do this. Mm-hmm. never going to do that. I would tell myself that, that don't fall into that trap. And also, to I was always felt very confident. So I always had a lot of that. But to believe in yourself and know that if the things that you want to do, if you passionate and you're willing to put forth the effort and have the faith and belief that you can come through there, then don't wait. Okay. And those are, that's great advice for really anybody. So here's a question. I don't think I've ever asked anybody based on what you know now, cause you had really a kind of a textbook trajectory as far as your industry experience, and then you know you stayed in the industry, bought a company. How much earlier do you think you could have bought a company and still been successful? What's the age that that you think you could have actually done it? Could you have done it when you were like say thirty five? I think probably I probably could have done it at forty five. I probably could have done it maybe at least ten, twelve years before uh, before I actually did it. Was it just because you didn't, you didn't quite realize that at the time that you had that capability or was it just that the right opportunity hadn't come along? So the right opportunity had not really come along, but also I didn't, I underestimated my place in the market. I underestimated what my influence could have been. And granted, it's not a lot. I'm not trying to overstate who I am or what I am, but I just underestimated what my impact could have been in the marketplace. Okay. No, and I get it because you've, you were in one industry in one geographic area for multiple decades. So it stands to reason that 
you would have a, a level and depth of relationships and knowledge that, you know, would be somewhat unique, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. Yes, sir. Okay. So here's a fun question. So we're in Texas. Just give me your gut level answer to this. Okay. <laughs> Barbecue or Tex-Mex? Tex-Mex. Okay. That's a popular answer. <laughs> I, I love barbecue. Don't get me wrong, but oh boy, I tell you that. Yeah, I can, I can definitely. Uh, you can eat three meals a day, right? Starting with breakfast tacos and. <laughs> Easily. Absolutely. There. <laughs> Was there anything I didn't ask you that I should have or that you wished I had? Um, you know, one thing I, uh, in, in, and I, I didn't, I meant to, 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 I was thinking back on how I answered when I was struggling with my challenge and whatnot. One, the first thing I did also, as I did not mention enough, is what my faith and what prayer did for me during that time as well. You know, I'm pretty sure that I'm almost certain somewhere in Sunday school, I learned that, you know, you praise him during the challenges and during the rough times Mm -hmm. and the bad times, because the bad times will come. And they did. And I tried to do that. And I also prayed for my, I didn't call any of these people my enemy, but I was theirs and I prayed for him. And I tell you, it absolutely, I stopped wasting emotional energy and time on those people. Mm -hmm. I just put my head down and we went to work. And there was absolutely, that was a huge part of how we overcame and overcome any issue. But that was a, that was an important part for us, for my family and I. Mm. Well, I'm really glad that you, you added that because that's really, uh, that's really significant and it, I heard it said by somebody that when you retain a grudge against somebody or retain animosity, it only hurts you mm-hmm. because that other person, like they've already moved on with their life. They've already kind of moved beyond that. You're the one that's, uh, you know, it's that animosity is like a poison and anything you can do to get past that is, is useful for you. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely correct. Well, Tom, this was fun, and I really enjoyed kind of hearing your story and getting to know you. And man, what a great success story! And I wish you, you know, many more years of growing twenty to twenty-five percent per year. Well, I appreciate it very much as well. I enjoyed it a lot, and I really appreciate the opportunity. Awesome. My, well, it's all, all right. pleasure is all mine, Tom. Have a great day. All right, great. You too. Thanks, Evan. And there we have it. Another great episode on the Christine Spray Show. Don't forget to check out the show notes at christinespray.com. And you can find out more about how we can be a resource to you at strategiccatalystinc.com. All the best in your continued success until the next time we talk.